0: So, my name's Soph. If I've not met you before, then it's really nice to have you with us. I'm the site pastor here alongside my lovely husband, Ian. Um, So, as Ian said, I'm finishing off the series this morning on the truth, Jesus in a post-truth culture. Um, So, it was wonderful to have Derek Morphew with us last week. If you missed it last week, I'd really encourage you to listen back. He um, is an absolute hero of the faith um, and a kind of a, a big deal in the vineyard and he did an amazing job unpacking the concept of the kingdom which is something that we talk about quite a lot um, and that's a great starter for a series that's going to be coming up in a few weeks time called Kingdom Carriers so we gave kind of a spoiler for that last week which is great but we are finishing off our truth series this morning so just to recap the series so far. James, who is our senior pastor, he kicked off the series and and talked about our post-truth culture that we're now living in and defined it like this. A post-truth world is not one in which the truth has ceased to exist. It is one in which it no longer matters. And that that kind of sums up the culture that we are living in. And he used the phrase gospel resilience, that cultures may come and go and worldviews may shift and change, but the message of the gospel is unchanged. The story of the saving grace of our Father in heaven, that his son Jesus died to save us and set us free, that is the truth and that will always be the truth. Thank you. Amen. So gospel resilience, that will always be the truth. And Ian then shared about our gospel identity, how culture has become very self-focused and self-defining. People are asking, what do you identify as? How do you identify? And people are desperately trying to find something that identifies them. But gospel identity completely cuts across that. And when we stop trying to define ourselves and we let God identify us with the identity he's given us, which is that we are his children, that is our identity So we can stop scrambling around trying to find our identity in something else. And then two weeks ago, James looked at gospel transformation. That the truth revealed to us through the word in the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. Together that changes us to look more like Jesus. So we are on this journey of being transformed. So gospel resilience, gospel identity and gospel transformation. So today I want to look at gospel readiness. And this is using language that is found in Ephesians, in the Bible, where we're told metaphorically in chapter 6 to put on shoes ready to take the gospel of peace out into the world. So that's where this concept of gospel readiness comes from, being ready to take it out into the world. So the question we're exploring is how can we be ready to share the truth of our faith in this post-truth culture in which we find ourselves? What can we do to be ready to go and share that? Because as I was saying, truth has become deeply subjective and individual. You have your truth, I have my truth, and whatever works for you is fine, as long as it doesn't affect me, is kind of this, this culture that we're living in. And, you know, whatever you believe is absolutely fine, but the moment it confronts me, it's not okay anymore. So that's quite a difficult context in which to share our faith, because ultimately what we could be saying to people is, We know the truth, and what you're believing is mistaken. And that is quite offensive. And the reality is that the gospel is offensive. So it's okay to know that, that actually the gospel is offensive. And when Jesus was walking around on the earth, and he was declaring that the kingdom was coming, he was forgiving people's sins, he was controversial. He wasn't automatically liked by everybody. So if we're not automatically liked as we share this... That is fine. Jesus is the example that we follow. He confronted people's truth with the truth, and we're called to do the same thing. But just to recognize that within that, you may feel apprehensive about sharing the gospel with people. You might feel a bit embarrassed at the idea of saying, ultimately, I think that you're mistaken you might feel ashamed about this. You may feel like a failure where you may have tried before in the past and it's not gone very well. Or you might have fear about how people are going to perceive you if you start to talk about that. And I just want to say now, I have experienced that. And I know that in the past, I've probably shared half of the truth and maybe like a watered down version of the gospel in order to try and avoid offending someone. And you know, sometimes we might just open the conversation and we don't want to just go slam dunk all the way in there and, you know, you can read the situation, can't you, and just share what feels appropriate. But I just want to say, if you're feeling any kind of shame or guilt or fear in this area, that is not from God. And the enemy loves to just make us feel fearful and ill-equipped to do this stuff. So I think it would be a good idea just to pray before we delve into this together. So... I'm just going to pray now. Father God, thank you that you offer the freedom from shame and from guilt and from fear. That you called us not to have a spirit of fear, but one of boldness. And I pray now, Lord, would you break off fear and shame in this area? And would you fill us with freedom and boldness and confidence? Amen. So where do we begin? I think... A helpful place to start is to remind ourselves of the mission to which we have been called as followers of Jesus. So we're going to dive back into the same passage that James used a couple of weeks ago, which was John 17. I could have tested you then. Who remembers what passage we looked at? John 17. So if you've got a Bible with you, now would be a good time to get that out. Um, If you don't, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen behind me. That just leaked. Never mind. So at this point, this is where Jesus is praying for his disciples shortly before he is going to be arrested. And he says this, we're starting at verse 14. Father, I have given them, my disciples, your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it sanctify them by the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world I have sent them into the world for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified and the message version of the bible translates those last few verses to say this in the same way that you gave me a mission into the world I give them a mission into the world I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so there will be truth consecrated in their mission So Jesus is giving his disciples a mission, a mission to bring truth into the world. He was sent into the world to bring truth and then he's passing that mission on to his disciples to be bearers of truth and of hope and of light into the world. And we are called to be the same. So in our current culture, it might be tempting to just retreat from the world and be our own little Christian bubble where everything's fine and we don't have to try and tell people, and we don't have to worry about offending people, it would be tempting to just pull up the drawbridge. Equally, it might be tempting to just try to not be any different and just completely blend in and just become part of the culture. But we're not called to either of those things. We are sent by Jesus to bring transformation into the world. And as the truth of Jesus transforms us, we are called to be in the world to bring transformation. We're called to be bearers of truth and of hope and of light. And Alan Scott, who's a guy that we've quoted quite a lot in this series, he wrote this fantastic book. I do have it Scattered Servants. If you've not got it, get a copy, highly recommend. He says this Develop a faith that isn't just strong enough to survive culture, but that is bold enough to transform it. So we're not just here to try and survive. We're here to bring transformation. That's what we're called to do. And just rest assured, God called us to be in this culture at this time. He ordained that we would live in this time, in this culture. We don't need to fear it and we don't need to question why God has put us here. We're here for a reason, for such a time as this. And he is sending us into this world, into this culture, to bring truth. As I was um, thinking about this, I was reminded of a passage in Jeremiah 29, some of you may be aware that the language we use to describe our vision as a church is restoring the city, and that is inspired by this passage where the prophet Jeremiah was telling the Israelites that God was not calling them to just be totally separate. They were in Babylon. They'd been exiled. They're not in their home culture. They're not, it doesn't feel right, but he's not saying, keep yourself totally separate. And he's also not saying, just blend in and be the same. But he calls them to love the city. And he calls them to be in it, to be a part of it, to get married, to settle down there, to live their life there and engage with the city. And I just felt that that is so apt for what we are called to do. We're not supposed to be exactly the same as culture. We're not supposed to blend in with that. But we're also not going to remove ourselves. We are part of our city. We love our city. And we engage with it in order to bring transformation. So I just want to share a couple of pointers as we're looking at this theme of gospel readiness, being prepared to take the gospel out. And as as I said, the question is, how do we share our faith with people in this culture? And I think the first point is to discover their story. So we've not done this to be suspicious and retreat away. We are unpacking what our culture looks like in order to be prepared, in order to understand the context that we're sent into, in order to understand where people are coming from. And the Apostle Paul is a fantastic example of what this looks like. He was led to various cultures to share the gospel, which we find in the New Testament. And he unpacks this idea in 1 Corinthians 9, um, 19 to 23. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to head there. It says this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So that's quite a mouthful. Uh, The message breaks it down like this. It says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. And I think that's a really good example to us of what this looks like. He kept his bearings in Jesus. He kept his gospel identity, if you like. And the truth didn't change. The resilience of the gospel, the truth was the same. But he tried to experience things from other people's point of view. He tried to understand their story and their reality in order to then share the gospel. And if you think about it, that's what Jesus did. He became flesh and walked among us in order to bring the truth. And Paul is attempting to do the same. He's trying to understand where people are coming from. And we see this again when Paul goes to Athens in Acts 17. He spends time in the city. He's understanding the culture and he's engaging with the people. And then one day, he stands up in the high court in a place called Mars Hill and says, I can see that worship is important to you. Well done. You are currently worshipping an unknown God, so let me tell you who God is. And then he starts preaching the gospel. And in that moment, he's engaged with the culture, he's understood the culture, and then is sharing the gospel from that point of view. So by keeping our bearings and our identity in Jesus, we can do the same thing in our culture today. Now, to understand where someone else is coming from will involve a two-way conversation and asking questions. I think sometimes we can think, right, I need to have my speech prepared, this is the gospel and the moment someone gives you an opportunity, you just start to reel it off without any consideration of any questions that they might have or where they actually wanted to take that conversation. And in a worldview that says everyone can have their own truth and we all believe different things, that's not really going to work, is it, to just launch into this pre-prepared speech about the gospel. That's not what we're asking each other to do. Instead, it begins with a conversation and actually finding out what is their story. What do they think about Jesus? The best conversations I've had about Jesus have started with, well, what do you think? Someone knows that I go to church, so they can make assumptions about what they think that I believe. But if I don't know where they're coming from when they're asking me, it's much easier to say, well, what do you think? And that's opened up much, much more doors. So it's finding out what's important to them, discovering their story, And then that leads to the second point, which is telling a better story. Culture is trying to tell us a story that everyone is allowed to express themselves as they want. We're all free to be ourselves and pursue our own self-interests. And then happiness is just there for the taking, which, quite frankly, is a load of baloney. So culture promises freedom, but it never delivers it. We see more and more people who are imprisoned by fear and mental health problems and loneliness, poverty, injustice and anxiety. And we know that there is a better story. We know that there is a story of hope available. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15, we're told to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the first thing I'd say is the assumption there is that we have hope. Because the gospel is, is nothing if not hope. And then it suggests that we always be prepared to have an answer for that. So what is your story? What is your answer for why you have this hope? Can you talk about how Jesus has changed your life? A while ago, Ian challenged the church to practice telling our story in 100 words. To just start practicing having language to describe what Jesus has done in your life in a way that doesn't mean that you launch into this really long spiel, but can just define what Jesus has done in your life, which was a really good challenge, I think, especially for some people in our small group who were like, why use a hundred words when I could use a thousand words? It's actually a really good challenge. So mine would be something like, I came to Cardiff as a student I was determined to meet the one and have a happily ever after and become a successful lawyer and earn loads of money. And when those two things proved difficult, I felt really insecure and lost. I then met Jesus and he changed everything. A friend invited me along to church. I encountered the love of God and I learned that actually he's the one who can fulfill me. Nothing and no one else can do that. My identity is in being his beloved daughter and his plan for my life is so much better than anything I could have planned for myself. Something like that. I have no idea if that was 100 words, I'm sorry. But maybe that's something that you could practice if you want to feel like, right, I want to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that I have. So that could be something that you want to try in your small groups at some point. So we prepare to tell the story of the hope that we have, and then we tell it to a world in desperate need of a better story. We tell it, and then we show it by the way that we live our lives. Because I think the world around us want to see if the reality of our lives does match up with this truth that we claim to believe. How much is the truth transforming us? Do our lives point towards a better story? I was lucky enough to be at the Vineyard National Leaders Conference a couple of weeks ago. If you missed it, there are lots of the talks online on the Vineyard Churches UK website, and I would really, really recommend. There's some incredible teaching. And there was a speaker there called Katcha Adams who was phenomenal. And I was lucky enough to go to a seminar that she led, and she said something that really stuck with me, which was that as followers of Jesus, our lives shouldn't make sense To people who don't know Jesus yet. If the decisions that we're making about where we live and how we spend our money and who we spend our time with, if that all makes perfect sense to people who don't know Jesus, then are we really that different? Are we pointing to a different story or not? I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that is challenging, isn't it? And she just said, guys, stop making sense. Your lives shouldn't make sense. The fact that you somehow have enough money despite the amount that you keep giving away, that shouldn't make sense, but that's a kingdom reality. That's a kingdom story. That points to something else. The fact that we choose to spend time with people who seem completely unlovable and yet we find love for them, that doesn't make sense, but that points to a kingdom story. And ultimately, Jesus said, people will see that we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. And when we launched this site, we did a series on being a grace-filled community. And if nothing else, you would hope that people see that the way we love each other points to something bigger than ourselves. So we tell a better story, and we show a better story in the way that we live our lives. And finally, we're also called to demonstrate a bigger story, a kingdom story. So as I said last week, Derek Morphew unpacked the concept of the kingdom, And the fact that Jesus both proclaimed it, he talked about it and said the kingdom of God is at hand, but he also demonstrated it with actions, and we're called to do the same thing. And we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. Verse after verse, the gospel show us that as well as talking about it, he showed it. He showed the breaking of freedom, of healing, of casting out the demonic, and we're called to do the same thing. It's proclamation and demonstration, and they go hand in hand. So how do we share our faith with others in this post-truth culture? We discover their story. We tell them a better story of hope. And lastly, we demonstrate a kingdom story. It's bigger. It's bigger than culture. It's bigger than this world. A story of the kingdom of God breaking in to bring heaven on earth. And that is something that John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, used to call power evangelism kingdom demonstration, prophetic words, healing, casting out demons. John Wimber wrote in a book called Power Evangelism, which again I would recommend, and he says this, most evangelism practiced in the West lacks the power seen in the New Testament evangelism. Although there is always a need for more workers to reap the harvest, the current situation indicates a need also for more powerful ways of reaching people with the gospel. And again I'm going to quote Alan Scott in his book he says the supernatural is not peripheral to our lifestyle it is central the gospel movement is a movement with power there is no power without the gospel but there is no gospel without power and I just want to read a story with an amazing example of this from the book so this is about um a girl who was an intern at the Causeway Coast Vineyard And uh, she was in a shop. And it says this, after picking up a couple of items, she went to the checkout. When she said good morning to the cashier, the girl commented on her accent. Ray told her she was from Brazil. Since we don't have too many folks from Brazil in Northern Ireland, the cashier was curious as to why Ray was in the area. So she told her, I'm part of this team that goes into schools. I'm connected with the vineyard church, and I'm here to tell people about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? She replied that she didn't. Ray began to tell her about Jesus and then asked, "'Can I pray for you?' As the girl agreed, Ray prayed for her, and as she prayed, the cashier began to weep and weep until eventually Ray asked, "'Would you like to know Jesus?' The girl replied, "'I'd love to.'" While a few people milled around the shop, Ray quietly prayed with the cashier, and she opened her life to Jesus. Afterwards, the cashier said, "'I'm so sorry. I'm not really in any fit state to process your order. Would you mind if I got one of my colleagues to come and do it instead?' So she called over a colleague who, upon arrival, asked the obvious question, what happened? Ray told her about the previous conversation, concluding with the question, do you know Jesus? And the girl said, no, I don't. And Ray said, well, I'd love to tell you who he is. She began to describe Jesus to her. And then she asked, would it be okay if I prayed for you? And the girl said, yes. As Ray began to pray, she had a picture of the cashier surrounded by all sorts of self-help books And she said, I see that you're reading a lot in self-help and you suffer from depression. But what you need to know is Jesus doesn't want you to waste your money on these books anymore. He is the Prince of Peace and he wants to come and reveal himself to you so you can save money and get to know him. At this, the girl started weeping and weeping. Ray said, I can see you're really moved. Would you like to know Jesus? And the girl said, I really would. So Ray prayed for her and she gave her life to Jesus too. Then the cashier said... "'I'm not really in any fit state to process your order.' At this point, Ray said she felt both excited and embarrassed because she started to wonder what people around her must be thinking she was saying to upset these girls. Undeterred, when the cashier called over a third colleague and the third colleague asked, "'What happened?' Ray just felt excited and blurted out, "'You know what happened? "'Jesus happened. "'Do you know Jesus?' And the girl said, "'No, I don't.' She began to tell her about Jesus and asked, "'Can I pray for you?' The girl said, I'd love you to pray for me. I think I'm going to lose my job. I've got a terrible back condition. I've been off work so many days recently. I have a meeting with my manager this afternoon and I think they're going to fire me. Could you pray for that? Ray prayed for her, this time asking, Jesus, please don't let her cry. She prayed for her to be healed and that Jesus would reveal his heart to her. Afterward, the cashier tried moving her back. She was able to bend right over and the pain was significantly improved. She gave her life to Jesus too. Thankfully, this time, she was able to scan Ray's items, process the order, and Ray was finally able to leave the store. So, I just wanted to share that as an example of what this can look like. A demonstration of the kingdom is so important because it completely cuts across reality, and it shows the truth of God and the love of God right there, and it breaks in, and it's undeniable. And I just want to be really real here and say this is something that we are itching to see more of. I would love to see more of this in my life. And I've been to plenty of shops and never quite had an experience like that one. But it's something that we're really keen to press into as a community. And just ask you to join us on the journey of getting stuck in and exploring this together. Whether you have been doing this kind of stuff for years or it's completely new to you, I know that for some of you this stuff might feel really daunting And I just want to assure you that this is a safe space where we can explore it together. Hopefully you've noticed that we want to just invite the Holy Spirit and see what he wants to do among us. And this is a training ground and a learning ground from which we can then carry the kingdom as we go out into the city. So we're in it together. And if we really want to restore the city, then this stuff is going to have to be key. And John Wimber used to say, the meat is on the street. That whatever healing and breakthrough of the kingdom they saw inside the church, they would see ten times over outside of the church. And Kenzie, some of you know Kenzie, had a prophetic word last week that she shared with the church. A number of people had words, which were brilliant. And she had the word heartbeat and a feeling that God wanted to quicken our heartbeats and show us that there was so much more. Because a nice Sunday service is not everything that we're called to in North Cardiff. This is the beginning, this is the training ground, this is base camp, but this is not the full extent of what God's called us to. So our next series is on being kingdom carriers, because if we're going to play our part in restoring the city, then we want to be equipped to do that, we want to be equipped to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom, and that's going to be crucial. Because we're not just here for a church full of people, we are here for a city full of hope. So... How do we ready ourselves to share the truth of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs it? We learn their story, and then we tell a better story of hope, and then we demonstrate the kingdom to them. So are you in? Are you on board? Shall we stand? I think we should pray.